0: Welcome to the Grace Place Weekly Podcast. No matter your size, age, shade, or background, here you'll receive compelling lessons suited to help guide your walk with Christ and your relationships with others. Please join us now for this week's podcast, recorded live from Grace Place in St. Paul, Minnesota. Place. It's good. Uh, the circumstances that brought us back, man, this drives me crazy. The circumstance that drove uh, brought us up here when we drove up here wasn't to our liking with the passing of Jane. But we celebrated, just like Cindy and Steve said, and it was good. You would have been so proud of your pastor, so proud. I don't know how many people came up to us and there was family, friends, uh, Delta Airlines employees, buku, and they said, we have never heard someone preach a eulogy and turn it into a celebration and I thought to myself well the God that we serve turned the water into wine so why not why not so Mick thank you I know that a lot of people came up from our family thank you it was wonderful and uh, I'll tell you what I said this the last time that I was here it's it's so hard it's so good to be here, it's so hard to speak here because you've got to follow that. And Jonathan, and uh, the Lord worked on me this week before I came up and he said, just be yourself. Don't worry about that. You've got your own ministry, so here, take the Bible, I'll talk. Uh, I woke up this morning, Nate, and I had something on my heart about freedom. Thank you. And I had something on my heart about the walls coming down and the giants falling. Thanks. You're plugged in once in a while, aren't you? Yeah, right there. And the Lord has really worked on me because this is the first church service in my life and I think I was born under the pews that I didn't wear at least dress pants and a dress shirt. But because I'm free. I'm free. Thanks, Nate. And then I looked down at what I was wearing and I saw a Nike swoosh, right? All of those that are old enough to remember Michael Jordan, I still think is one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and Nike got together. I don't know, Dr. J was strong. But anyway, Nike got together and they came up with a swoosh. And what's the motto? Anybody know what the motto is? Just do it. Just do it. it. And the Lord said, talk to him about just doing it. As a church, as a corporate body, you guys are moving in a direction that's so unbelievable. Because as the religious world moves away from church, as they get into their programs, as they get into their outreaches, that is nothing more than grabbing somebody's money and lining somebody's pockets, you're giving. You're getting closer to Jesus than you've ever been before. You're just doing it. I want to encourage you as a body of Christ, as a corporate body of Christ, Ray, just keep doing it. Kathy, just keep loving people. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep following Jesus. Doesn't it feel good to be set free? Mick said to me a couple of weeks ago on the phone, he said, man, you're an encourager. I've always enjoyed trying to help people, maybe to a fault sometimes. I've always enjoyed coaching and trying to bring the best out of people. And I want to encourage you to find your place in Jesus. See, I don't want to be an engineer. Bob Erickson, you love it. You found your passion a long time ago. But that's not me, but that's Bob. And that's what he does best. It takes courage to step out and just do it. It takes more than me tickling your ears today and encouraging you. You've got to purpose and decide in your heart that you want to do it. I get excited about music. I love music. But I'm no Nate Saban. I'm envious. But it's not my ministry. It's Nate's ministry. He needs to just keep what? Doing it. All right? When Samuel showed up at the house of Jesse, Jesse was the father of David. And he showed up there, and he wanted to anoint the next king of Israel. He went through the whole list of kids, didn't he? He said, do you have one more? I can't find who I'm supposed to anoint. Well, I got a little ruddy-faced, snot-nosed kid tending the sheep. Bring him in. Let's look at him. The Bible said that he was strong, a ruddy countenance, good-looking. And in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter and the 17th verse, it said that he was anointing him and that God didn't look on the outward appearance. He looked at what? The heart. And David, as a young man, was anointed king, future king of Israel because God saw his heart. He sees you where you are today, and he sees your heart. He sees your good things, he sees your imperfections, he sees everything that you do, and he sees what is inside of you. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Well, why wouldn't he have been king? And then later on in David's journey, he goes out to take provisions to his brothers, and there's a battle with the Philistines. But the battle wasn't happening, and we all know the story. It was a David and Goliath moment. Has anybody ever heard that story? How many times have we heard in our lives that we face a David and Goliath moment? Okay, and the underdog comes through. I just read a book, or most of the book, I like an author called Malcolm Gladwell. And Malcolm Gladwell has a lot of good books. He's got Blank, he's got Tipping Point. He wrote one, it's entitled David and Goliath. We don't really understand, most of us, I didn't, the story of David and Goliath. We think that David faced insurmountable odds and God delivered him and he came through. And that's true. But in reality, David had spent his time tending his father's sheep, putting a rock in a little thing calling a sling, and knocking tin cans off the fence post. And he could do it at 200 yards probably. Because back in the biblical days, and then the Greco-Roman days, the Grecian days, the military had what was called the cavalry, rode the horses, the infantry fought hand to hand, and the artillery, which was bow and arrow, and slings. So my mind started to wonder and think, well, my Lord, when all of his brothers were making fun of him because he had a passion for throwing a sling, God was preparing him to be the king of Israel. When everybody's making fun of you because they say you have a hobby that's not worthwhile, that doesn't make any sense to them, keep it up. Follow your passion. I'm encouraging you to do what God has placed in your heart like what he placed in David's heart. David goes out there and Saul says, well, we got a problem here. He says, I'll take care of this. Saul says, put on my armor. If you're gonna go out and fight, see the battle was gonna be won over individual single combat and they did that sometimes in that old days. So put on my armor so you'll at least be protected a little bit from this 10-foot giant who had chainmail on him that weighed over 100 pounds, had a spear that was probably 8 feet long. Put on my armor. And Dave, David put it on. He says, man, this doesn't fit me. It's like me trying to get up and, and lead worship service. It fits Nate. It doesn't fit me. I can't do this. I don't want this. He took it off. Don't let anybody pigeonhole you into what they think you should do. In your life, in the church world, somebody came to me and said, I want you to take care of the kids downstairs. Oh, my Lord. They'd be running renegade and lighting fires, and we'd all be eating cookies. I know that. But it wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. That armor doesn't work on me. Are you with me? Are we making sense? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. I want you to be free. I want you to sing your freedom song. So David takes the armor off and he gets down into the valley. And Goliath said, what's this? You're sending me a little boy. What am I, a dog that you send somebody like this to me to fight me? Come to me, come to me, fight me. Well, there's a great chance Malcolm Gladwell said that Goliath had a disease. He had a tumor on his pituitary gland, and that causes people to be giants. It also causes people to have that are the giants to have poor eyesight. He wanted David to come to him so he could engage him in mortal combat hand to hand. But that's not what God had planned. The world to pull at you at many different angles They'll come at you in different ways. You keep following what God has in his plan. God's got a plan for you. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And David didn't fall for that. He had an armor bearer that led him out, that led Goliath out. Well, why did a man that big need an armor bearer to lead him out and carry a shield? We couldn't see where he was going. He needed to lock that boy up in mortal combat and kill him. When David took off, he started swinging that sling. The stone was in the pouch, and historians say that Irish slingers could hit a bird out of the air, that Grecian slingers could hit a coin as far away as what they could see it. Goliath didn't stand a chance. Was it a matter of a, Goliath a David and Goliath moment. I'm telling you that if you'll follow your passion in life, the obstacles that lay in front of you don't stand a chance. It's impossible. God's got a plan. He's had a plan. He knew you before you were conceived. And he's got it laid out for you. If you'll have the courage to stand up and sing your freedom song. If you'll have the courage to step out, if you'll have the intensity to just do it. And as David was running down in through that valley, he thought, I've got this. I beat the bear. I beat the lion. I've got this. My passion has been this sling. This is no problem. They say that from 35 yards away, the sling against Goliath's armor was like me taking a 38 caliber or 45, Steve, and boom that giant didn't stand a chance. Do you realize that God has given you all the armament? He's given you all the power. He's given you the wisdom. He's given you the passion that nothing can stand in your way. I know it's Sunday morning. I know we're all kind of sleepy, but I get excited when I think about that. Cindy, God has put a passion in every one of our children's hearts to follow what they think is right, to do what they think they should be doing. It's wonderful. My oldest, Brent, you remember Brent. He was here for a few years in Stephanie. He came to me in 2013, and we had a wealth management business. And he looked at me, and he said, Dad, I want to talk to you about what I'm doing. He was managing the money for our clients. I said, all right, let's talk. He said, I hate it. I hate every bit of this. It's not my passion. And as a dad, you're thinking, well, boy, that's a tough one. I said, you're good at it. He said, I don't care. I hate it. Well, I looked at him. I said, I love you. I want you to find your passion and just do it. So Brent, he was doing YouTube videos about opening up board games and showing people on YouTube how these board games worked. Honestly, that's not my passion. I want to go out and play golf, or, and he golfs too, or do something. But he loved it, just loved it. Two brothers from Vancouver saw that. And they had a small company that they had just started. There was those two, and I think one more guy, Chris, three guys in the company, and they were building board games. And they called him up and said, would you like to interview with us? Hey, Jonathan, would you like to interview with us? He said, I'd love to. He interviewed. He came back. He said, Dad, I think they're going to take the other guy. They did. I said, it's your passion, son stay with it. Two weeks later, they said, we made a mistake. We've already fired the other guy. Will you meet us in Boston? (laughs) That's God. That's God. Will you meet us in Boston? And we're going to be visiting our biggest client. They produce board games in China. They've got their own factory. They've got 200 employees. Uh, They pay them. It's up to $4 an hour now because the going rate's two. They have a cafeteria. They house them. It's unbelievable what this company does now. So he went to Boston. He handled the situation with no problem whatsoever. He said, they said, what are we going to do now? And they said, I don't know. What do we do? They're from Vancouver. He said, you only know hockey. Let's go to a baseball game. So he took him to a Boston Red Sox baseball game. And they hired him. He was their fourth hire. All because of me maybe helping a little and say, just do it, son. Just do whatever you're packing. Fourth hire, and that year they did a million dollars of revenue. It's pretty good for a startup. Bob, that's pretty good for a startup. So this now is six years later. They've got 40 employees that aren't in the China factory. 40 employees in the United States, Canada, France, England, Germany. And they're doing over 35 million of revenue, and Brent runs the company. From home, yeah, from home. In his underwear if he needs to, that's right. That's my kind of job. So what I'm telling you is, passion that God puts in your heart can turn into incredible blessings for you and everyone else. But you have to have the impetus. You have to have the courage to step out and just do it Amen. Michael Jordan did not sit on the bench he took the ball to the hoop just do it uh, when we were getting ready today at the hotel Cindy said well this is neat and she's looking p- taken down the website of this le- this lady that was on the news that was uh, a guest commentator a cook she's a cook she's a chef right what was the name of that lady? Minnesota mom, the Minnesota mom. Okay. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this lady's passion is cooking. She loves, to, I know somebody else that loves to cook. It's Terry, yes, and Cindy, Terry. But she loves it. And she's turned her passion into, now she goes all around the world and takes groups. They were just in Italy. And she takes groups on trips, gets paid, for doing her passion, for cooking. I love to eat. I don't mind grilling, but I don't want to cook. All I'm saying is she stepped out. She just didn't. That Minnesota mom just didn't stay at home. She started blogging. Okay, She started getting on YouTube. She got invites to go to different places, I'm sure, and now she's got a great, great business, and she loves every minute of it. Mickey and I have talked countless times that when you love something, when you do something that you love, it's not labor. It's not labor. You love it. You love it. And that's the place that we need to find really today. I'm just preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself because I'm 62. I know I look like I'm 72, but Nate looks good. We're the same age. My gosh, he looks like he's, well, you got some gray hairs now, but he looks young. But I'm preaching to myself because I'm 62. And sometimes I wake up and wonder what I'm going to be when I grow up. You know? And uh, if the Lord would allow me to be 92 like my father is, that means two thirds of this life has passed me by, and I want to grab for every bit of gusto that I can. I do. I want to minister when I can. I don't know. Cindy said I've got the great American novel in me. She said, but you won't sit down and write. Well, maybe it's time. I don't know. I got a lot of stories about growing up on the beach in Inglewood, Nate. I don't know if I can write them all down or not, but or tell them all. But I want to be passionate about what I'm doing. But there's one thing I know that I'm passionate about, and I'm going to close. I, I, I don't want to take too much of your time today. I'm passionate about Jesus. <laughs> Remember last time I told you how my mama slapped me because I said I wasn't going to church? <laughs> Love you, Mom. Uh, but, I, but I had the, uh, the charge in my life way back when I was 16 that I love Jesus and I love God. I just hated religion. Does anybody hate religion? Come on. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Randy, did your hand go up? Come on, man. I think Randy and I are twin sons of different mothers sometimes. So we need to talk more. I think we come from the same type of background. But I love Jesus, but I hate religion. That's why I love this church. Your pastor is giving you the freedom to be who you need to be, who God wants you to be. He's not pigeonholing you into some situation that says you can't do this, you can't do that. He said, let God judge. He'll take care of it. He'll do it. You know, I've been up here three out of the last four weekends, but I've only been here twice because I went to a Vikings game the first time. And I didn't feel guilty about it. 30 years ago, I'd have felt guilty about it. Oh, amen, somebody. Come on. You guys have been planted in a garden that you can flourish and grow. And if you can't get excited about that, I don't know what you can get excited about. You've got a pastor and his wife that loves you to death. You've got people around you that are supporting you, that are being your spiritual cheerleaders. What more do you need? I can't preach like him. I can't preach like Jonathan. But sweet Lord in heaven, I can be myself. And I can follow the passion that God has put in my heart. And he could set me in places that I don't even know where I'm at, and I get to minister to people. We, yesterday, went to the gathering at a restaurant after the funeral. And these people were celebrating. Everybody was celebrating Jane. And I looked at Steve at about 8.30. I said, I got to go for a walk. I got to go for a walk. And he said, okay. like, why are you telling me? And I walked outside, it was like, just do it. It's like the Lord was pushing, just do it. Get your spiritual antennas up, he talks to you. And as I went outside, I walked around, I came back and there's these two huge guys and this one girl standing on the sidewalk. And they said, hey, this one big guy. Well, my old self was thinking, well, I'm gonna, here's a fight. Here we go, what's going on? I'm in, St. Paul, here we go. He said, hey, weren't you one of the guys that spoke today at the funeral? I said, yeah, I was. He said, that was, boop, good. I said, thank you. He said, and that other guy was phenomenal. I said, yes, he is. And we started talking about Gene. And those three kids, they couldn't have been over 25 started crying on the sidewalk in front of that bar. The one looked at me, said, Oh, my God, would you pray with me? Would you pray with us? I said, sure, absolutely. Let's just do it. We didn't need the church. We didn't need to be tucked away someplace in the back of a parking lot by oh Jesus. So I grabbed these two big guys and these girls and I hug them like I'd hug my kids and I prayed and I said, oh, God, let them remember Jane, let them remember her spirit, let her, them remember her grace, but let them know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them and that you're with them and you'll take care of them and every obstacle they face will be overcome because of your grace and because of your goodness. I got to do what I do. I went in and Steve said, what are you doing? I said, I just prayed for three people. He said, yeah, you're a vessel, man. God puts you where you need to be. That's what I want to do. I, I listen to Jonathan when he preaches. I, I listen to the sermons. I think that this guy is brilliant. But you know what? If I start Comparing myself with Jonathan. Pastor says comparison is the enemy of joy. And we're brothers. We love each other. I love Jonathan. We go back. But if I compare myself to that person in the church, I'm going to trip myself up. I've got to find my place. Joe, your place. Bob, your place. We're in the Boundary Waters, you ministered to me. You were doing it, Bob. You were in your place. Nate, today, the music, it ministers to me. It stirs my soul. That's God. He's in his place. I want to challenge you today. Are you in your place? Now, remember, I always say, no, I'm not talking about heaven and hell. You're saved. You're good. We're all good. Don't worry about that. Okay? But are you in your place in the body of Christ? Is there something stirring in your heart that you need to talk to the pastor about, that he's praying about, and there's something in church that needs to be done? It's not his job. He's doing what he's doing. Let him do it. But maybe you've got a place in this church that's going to that need for that pastor all right I love y'all let's stand Mickey Kamuna I want to thank you I hope that you've gleaned something from this today I have because uh, like I said I'm still trying to find my place but it's getting it's getting a little more clear on it I don't know how many people came up to me yesterday and said you need to retire Look at her. I know I got you. Cindy's just like, did did they? How many people? Well, I wrote down in my Bible on October 29th of last year. Mickey said, God spoke to me, and he wants you, Jack, to write down what do you want. What do you want? Cindy, will you hand me that yellow page real quick? I hope I'm not taking too much time. Thank you. It says October twenty. What time is it? Okay. October 29th, right here. From Mickey. God spoke this question to me regarding me. What do you want? In other words, God's saying, just do it. So I wrote down, I want to be semi retired. Well, I went semi retired in January. Answered a prayer. Uh, I just had went through two health sur- or two surgeries on my hips that were 130 grand if I didn't have insurance. I said, I'd like health insurance. Still got health insurance. I want the freedom to do things with my wife, who I love, to draw closer to her. I wrote that down, Cindy. I want income coming in that's not work. We've got it, we've got it. It comes in every month like clockwork. I want more time with my kids. I want more experiences in Twin Cities in Grace Place. I want to travel and spend my winters in Florida. I don't want to be in St. Paul in the winter. And then the last three things. I want to promote freedom to others. I want to promote rest to others, and I want to promote faith to others. Thank you this morning for giving me the opportunity to promote freedom. Just do it. I love you all.
1: Thank you, you can be seated for just a moment. I want to read a verse to you, and then I'll finish this day with what I, I came to say, what's on my heart, and it won't take long, but it might be uh, arresting, it might be shocking, it might cause you to uh, sit and contemplate a moment, and I, I want to give you a moment to do that when I'm finished. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse number 7. 7 through 16. It's all about love. I'll tell you that in advance. We call 1 Corinthians 13 the love chapter, but this is, this is really directly about love. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends... Let us love one another. Would you say amen? Amen. Love comes from God. you You can amen it as we go through this. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now that's a big deal right there, you guys. That takes all the denominational names off of all of us. Because anybody who loves has been born of God. Wow, that's a big deal. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. We know that we live in Him, and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely. We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in him. Hallelujah. So, he loves everyone. Early last Wednesday morning, I was awakened like Samuel. The story of Samuel, the little boy, when he was in the temple, working with Eli. God Almighty spoke to him when he was in bed sleeping, and called Samuel by name. And it was so real to Samuel, the little boy, that he thought it was Eli. And so he ran to Eli and woke Eli up and said, you called me? And Eli said, no, son, I I didn't call you. Go lay down. It happened the second time. Samuel, Samuel, he thought it it was so loud in his ears, it was so real to him, He ran back to Eli's bedroom and woke him up again and said, You called me. What what can I do for you? And Eli said, I didn't call you, son. Go back to bed. It happened the third time. Samuel, Samuel. He gets up and runs back to Eli's room. He's what? He's urgent. He's confused. Sir, you called me. You called me. Eli said, I didn't call you, son. That's God calling you. Next time you hear that voice, say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. I'm in bed, 5 o'clock in the morning, Wednesday morning, and I heard in my head, it woke me up. I heard these words, I love everyone. I jumped up out of bed, I was standing beside my bed, and I went, what? I love everyone everyone. My first response was, after the second time, you didn't say everybody, you said everyone. He said, I don't look at you as a body. I look at you as one. I like that. I feel good about that. That makes me happy. And instantly, there's this strange war that went on in my head. You can't mean everyone. I didn't hear him. He said what he was going to say. I love everyone. Now I'm walking around the house crazy. I mean crazy. Excited. Nervous. Hair standing up on my head. I close the door to our bedroom and I'm going, hey! What did you just say to me? Now you can say, ah, you're hearing voices. Tell it to Samuel. All I know is I've got booked for it. I've got Bible for it. I can tell you that it says, For God so loved the world. I can show you where it says, Not for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. And he said to me, I love everyone. Now You can argue with that because of your religious past. I told you you're going to have to think about this. But what Jack is talking about and what I'm talking about is being set free from the chains and the bondage and the lies that religion has put on us and caused us to judge other people when he loves everyone. I love everyone. I think I just, I might want to buy a, a big billboard and just put that up there. And make 90% of Christians mad. (laughs) Just to bug them. When I say, God said, I love everyone. If that grits in your belly just a little bit, makes you nervous just a little bit, makes you shake your head and go, "Ah, I don't know about that. Good. Good. Because I'm telling you, once you realize that he loves everyone, It changes everything because love forgives. Love is patient. Love is kind. He loves everyone. I said everyone. Everyone. People who other Christians deny, people who are rejected, people who are left out. He loves them. And he loves the rejectors. If it weren't that God tolerated religious ignorance, I wouldn't be here. I was ignorant. I didn't think he loved everybody. I thought you had to respond properly to get him to love you. But then I had children. And I realized when they're little, they don't do anything. But eat, and poop, and cry, and demand attention. They do not contribute. They don't contribute. They just receive. And I realized, I love my babies. He looks at us as his children. Beloved, now we are the children of God. He's setting us free. He's setting my mind free. First of all, it freaks me out that he loves me unconditionally. All the time. All the time. So, um, you, you, I, and I encourage you this week, and this will be on the podcast, and I want to say this to you, you should write it down. I encourage you this week to read the book of Ruth. It's a four-chapter book. Read the book of Ruth. Because Ruth was a Moabitess. She was a young lady born in Moab. And because of circumstances arranged by God, Ruth moves with her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem. Naomi is an Israelite. Ruth is a Moabite. When they move back to Bethlehem, Ruth meets The family of Naomi and the man who is responsible to cover his family as a kinsman redeemer. I want you to read about that. So when Boaz, who is by God responsible for this young woman who has no children, whose husband died, she comes to his fields and begins to glean some of the grain for her and her mother-in-law. And listen to this now, you got to get this. Boaz says to this Moabite woman, When you get thirsty, you can drink from the pots of water that the men have drawn. That's not a big deal until you get to John chapter four, when Jesus meets a woman from Samaria and says to this woman, Would you give me a drink? She says, how can you ask me for a drink? The Samaritans and the Jews have no dealings. That's what the English version says. But the true translation is, Jews will not drink from a vessel that a Samaritan has touched. So Jesus is inviting an outsider. The leftovers, the rejects. The people that we think aren't worthy and are unlovable. Jesus is saying, share a drink with me. That's what Boaz said to Ruth. That's what God has said to you. You're no longer a reject. You're no longer a foreigner and a stranger. I'm inviting you to come and drink with me. Everybody has judgmentalism. Every Christian group knows who's in and out, except Jesus. He's the only one that's ignorant of this in and out stuff. He don't do that. We do. He doesn't. You know what he does? He loves everybody. Nobody's excluded. I love Everyone. So he says to the man on the cross next to him, a thief who's dying. He's dying with Jesus, but he's dying for his crimes. He says to Jesus, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That guy doesn't have a A chance. He's dying. He has nothing to contribute. He is a sinner and he's dying for his crimes. And without any formal religious ceremony, without repentance, without baptism, without the Spirit, without an altar to pray at or an offering to give, with nothing at all to offer, Jesus proves, I love you. Go on, chew on it. Get frustrated with it. The guy's got to do something. I was taught all of my life that there was a special momentary dispensation and God made a different rule for this guy and nobody else. As if to say he's the only one that Jesus is allowed to save just because. And I'm fighting with religion. I'm standing here today saying that God spoke to me on a Wednesday morning and said, I love everyone and I believe God. I believe it. I believe it. And when everybody's jeering at him and everybody's waiting for him to die, you know what he said? Father, forgive him. What? Yeah, he's praying for you. Yeah, he's loving you because love forgives. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us you're forgiven you are pre-approved you are already forgiven he loves you God Almighty loves you and he loves everyone he doesn't care where you've been it doesn't matter what you've done there aren't any good ones and bad ones in his eyes there are no unworthy and worthy there is no righteous no not one he loves sinners. He loves creepy people. He loves fat people, skinny people, tall people, thin people. He loves men. He loves women. He loves black people. He loves white people. He loves red people. He loves yellow people. He just loves everybody. He loves you. God loves everyone. Now, if you get that for you, the second thing is you've got to get that for everybody else. If you believe it, this will set you free. And I'll finalize with this in this uh, union with what Jack was saying. When you believe he loves you, a few verses down from what I read this morning from 1 John, it says love drives out fear. You won't be afraid to try. You won't be afraid to step out. If you know he loves you, there's no restraint. The restraint you have, the fears that you have, the inhibitions that you have, they come from fear. But if you know that God is with you, that he loves you, that he's for you, who can be against you? Then you're not afraid. You're not afraid to be yourself. You're not afraid to step out. The reason we live so protected and we live so under our privilege is because we're afraid. The reason you didn't talk to that young lady, sir, is because you were a chicken. The reason, ma'am, you didn't express yourself is because you were afraid of rejection. Help me, somebody. And I tell you what the Holy Ghost has done. It just lifted me above all that. I'm not afraid of rejection. I'm not afraid of what people think. I don't care what religion says. God loves everyone. I love everyone. It's setting me free. It makes me understand. There's nobody that I can't love. He loves Everyone. Everyone. You can stand with me, please. Put it up there for me, Steve. I'm going to give you a chance just to think about this. Now, if you've got the guts, you could raise your hand and say, I disagree. Anybody disagree? Does anybody agree that God loves everyone? Really? Let me see him one more time. I've never had 100% vote on anything in my life. My wife and I can't even agree it's McDonald's or Burger King. We can't even agree on it. I'm just telling you. Let me see one more time. Do you believe God loves everyone? Okay, listen to me. Do you understand? Do you know that all denominations may say it but don't believe it? The fear and the terror that we've put in our children, the demands that we've placed on one another. Are you listening to me? This is a revelation from God. It's not like it's new he said it a bunch of times. It's just that he said it to me. I love everyone. It sure does simplify things, doesn't it? Go on, Bob. Doesn't it make it pretty simple? Yeah. Yeah. He loves you. He loves you. He loves everyone. he loves everyone
0: thank you for joining us today we hope this message has been a blessing to you you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes to learn more about Grace Place please visit our website at graceplacemn.org thanks for listening may God bless you this week